0: hi i'm sam and i'd like to welcome jerry Jamot a session bassist from new york jerry played on recordings by king curtis aretha franklin bb king roberta flack and more welcome jerry how are you today i'm fine well how'd you start doing session
1: work i say um one of my friends uh, from junior high school named richard dubin he's very um grown for his age i was um 12 when i met him and then at the age of 14 he we both joined a band called the Mixed Birds, and during that time, he would go come to rehearsals with stories about meeting some of the great musicians that I would have heard on records prior to that time. Coming up as a child musician, uh, among them being his teacher, um, soon-to-be teacher, Clark Terry, Joe Newman, Ernie Royal, Snooky Young, Snooky uh, Young, Joe Wilder. Bad Jones, bassist, Bill Hinton, Richard Davis, George Delivier. And he told me the life that they led basically going from studio to studio, making records or doing um, Broadway shows or making commercials or films. I said, Whoa, I want to do that. And that was it. So, um, this is what got me into doing session work.
0: Yeah, it sounds like such an interesting job to like get to do go in and play on on a bunch of recordings, you know, that that sounds really cool.
1: And you never knew who you're going to play for, or what you're going to be called on to do. So the um, feeling of adventure, and excitement was like ever present. It was constant, constant excitement for me.
0: Yeah, that that's really, really cool. I mean, you, you've played on tons of stuff, haven't you? you? You did like, gosh, you did Aretha Franklin, you did. Yeah, I mean, I guess I mentioned like BB King, Roberta Flack, all that, that, that that's really cool. You, you, you got to like go in and do that. Did you just get to like walk into the studio and be like, Hey, I want to play bass or was there a whole process behind it?
1: Oh, it was a deep process. I mean, before, um, before I heard about the session work, I had to come up playing, learn, you know, go through the idea of wanting to even play the bass, you know, to get to that level, you have to have a desire to, um, to excel you have to have a basically a, a fundamental desire somewhere that's going to put you in position to excel or give you desire to put the time into excel I And mean, when everybody around you might be doing the same thing you might feel that you want to do something with what you have and um make a difference yeah and so what to find the base so but you can read all about it in my um memoirs called i'm that guy soon to come out looking for um I'm dealing between publishers right now, so I've got a new situation I don't want to talk about it, or jinx it. But um, you'll find it somewhere soon. Oh boy! <laughs> and I'm when excited. it comes out, you'll be the first to know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I will. Uh, I'll be watching out for that, and I'll, I'll give it a read once you once you publish it. That sounds like a really cool book.
1: It really is. It's, really, it's got a great review from Bass Player magazine already. So it's about you know at this point a publish you know finding the right publisher at this particular point. It might just be me on Amazon, but it might be somewhere else. I'm crossing my fingers.
0: So, how long have you been working on this for?
1: Uh, since 2016.
0: Wow. So, so it's it's been a work in progress.
1: It's been for. I finished in 2018, and um, it's been a, a trial to um, get it published um, over the last, um, I guess, five years. So, it's time to um, get it done. And so much has happened in the last five years since it's almost like I keep on writing parts adding to it you have to f- eventually stop i was fortunate to be able to actually see my life from beginning to this point now and put it down and remember most of it because a lot of it i've forgotten and i started um in 2016 um that's um gee how many years ago was that um what seven oh, four now? seven seven years ago and a lot of the things that are in there i read now i forgot already forgotten about <laughs> So it's good. I'm glad I uh, took the time to do it when I did.
0: Wow! Yeah, that that it's good to have like all your memories stored on something, right? So you can mm-hmm. you can look back at it.
1: Well, for me, looking back is from hopefully will help to serve as a beacon for others to um who follow the same road that I've followed and inspire others to move on to what they're doing. So um, I'm not one. That's the funny thing about even writing it. It was so hard for me to remember what had happened in the past. It was a tremendous thing uh, I can. See why people start writing their memoirs and they stop because it's just too much stuff they're pulling out. You don't even want to hear about it. And the things I didn't want to hear about, I discovered, I had to like, you know, come to grips with it and put it down on paper. It was um pretty challenging, pretty yeah. challenging, but I'm glad I, had, I had help along the way um, that came through to help me um, finish it off, um, William Knobloch, one of my former students um, from my days teaching at the Richard Davis Conference for Young Bases. Um, he came along and helped me edit the book so I'm really fortunate to have um, chosen this path and uh, as an educator as a teacher along the way and an author and um, trying to make a difference in this world
0: yeah that's really really cool I mean yeah it, it's great you, you've you been able to write a memoir about it and it's it's even better you've been able to do all this stuff right like I know you, you did lots of studio work but you played a lot live as well didn't you?
1: Not too much I did um, the most significant work I've done basically I will do a few festivals here and there i'm in the process of doing festivals now in switzerland but um most prominent ones i've done was like 50 years ago with Aretha franklin at um Montreux jazz festival and prior to that the um which was uh it was recorded you can see it on youtube and prior to that was the uh arifa franklin and king curtis live at the Fillmore west which i'm most famous for among uh, most of my work and then there's the work i did with um live video i did with Jocko. On modern electric base with people just know me just for that, who know nothing about wow. anything else, have done. But just that one video, which is kind of kind of cool, because I see you know, all all part of being an educator, you know, to leave something for the kiddies, some kind of way, some kind of where, you know, you had to drop those crumbs along the way. So that was that's really cool too.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, doing all that, playing live, just sounds like such a blast, and it must have been like honestly kind of crazy playing with like King Curtis and Aretha Franklin, right? Like that sounds like quite a quite a show to be playing.
1: Oh, for sure. You know, in a sense, it's a dream come true. That's why I took the gig. I didn't want to necessarily do it, but um, as fortune turned out, I took the job in the late 70, 1970, and the tour started in February of 71, and we finished in July of um, 71. That was the deal. So it was quite interesting. We had quite a good time. That was a very good year for me. I made a lot of records with other artists during that same period in and out when we went on tour. Um, I think I recorded The Revolution Will Not Be Televised during that period when we went on tour and some other stuff. Stay in the studio. That was my, you know, that's, that's why I had a deal I, I said, I'm just going to give you till July. I can't go out any further because I want to, you know, lose your seat in the studio and do what I was basically wanting to do. Touring was something, wasn't the thing that I was looking forward to, but but that was a special event to work with King Curtis and Aretha Franklin and Cornell and Bernard and Billy Preston and, and the, the Sweet Inspirations. And I know that not the inspirations, the, um, the Sweet Inspirations, the Sweethearts of Soul, and all the guys in the band, um, I forget the all the horn players, but we had it going on. At one, then we had the regular band from the U.S., and then we had the Memphis horns. Then um, it was a quite a, a festive atmosphere during that during that time.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, you must have gotten to know them really well, right?
1: Well, we played together. We made some great music. You know, it's um, it's hard in the works looking back at that time like i said my memory is not that great but we remember having a good time all the way through
0: yeah yeah that that sounds like a great time and i know you mentioned that that gil scott heron record which must say i i really like uh i really like that album um that that must have been really really cool to record
1: Oh, yeah. It was um, just to walk into the studio. It was one of those dates where you walk in and you don't know what's going to happen, who's going to be there, what the scene's going to be. And wow, it happened to be a poet this time. I said, okay, that took me back to my years um, in junior high school. When I was playing between working three and four nights a week with Smile and Henry and the Rhythm Makers, I'd be playing with kids around the neighborhood, going down to the village, playing, doing, you know, jam sessions down there. So it's like, it took me right back to those days when I would roll my bass around town on my upright. So it was like, you know, I'd say, hey, this is cool. It's nothing um, I've looked forward to doing. I like that 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 style of music. You know, you can make music for different, many different reasons. You know, whether it be for a poet, whether it be for an um, orchestral piece, for a soundtrack for a movie for a commercial you know for dancing for romancing for work songs for politics you know whatever you want music for whatever the cause is the reason you'll have music to sit to suit that case um so it's wonderful to be able to um be able to tap on that
0: you've had like so many amazing like I guess simultaneously like playing and listening like I, I know you you played with Dwayne Allman a lot right that must have been something
1: oh yeah we had a good time being creative and um, just you know standing up for who we were you know being socially active in terms of you know doing the right thing with the right people um, we were cool he was a good brother. We made some good music.
0: Yeah, yeah. You you played a lot in the the early 70s, right before he passed, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Starting in 67. 67. Oh yeah. No. We started doing um records um back 67, 68. You know, here and there, here and there. Then we started going to Muscle shows together, um, riding down there and working down there, doing albums for um Atlantic Records and Muscle shows.
0: Yeah, I mean th- those must have been some some pretty amazing sessions, like the the King Curtis. Dwayne Almond like crossover. Geez, that's that's something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was special. That was that was done in New York, that session with Ken Curtis Um the session that I did with Dwayne Danny with Wilson Pickett and um a bunch of other artists. I can't remember the names right now, but I remember particularly was the, the Pickett session that we did. Um I did five sessions down there with the muscle shows band. Um Otis Rush was one. I forget the other uh Clarence Carter. Um oh yeah. What's the um one of the soul um the soul clan? Um Arthur Arthur Conley. Arthur Connolly. Yeah. Cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm I mean, yeah, you you've done so much. And uh, you meant you mentioned you worked a lot in muscle shoals. How did that like differ from your work in New York? Like was the sound completely different or was it really similar?
1: Um well they have been like they have been schooled. They were sending records. From one studio in um in New York to the other, and they would send him down to Rick hall. This was like going on before I even got on the scene, so they were kind of they had gotten that kind of sophisticated they were aware of like what was needed to play um. So going down there was pretty cool. Playing with them, they were well. They were well. School uh, between Jerry Ragavoy sending tapes to Dre Wexler and Jerry Wexler sending tapes down to Rick Hall. This has been going on like late '60s, early '60s, forever. Uh, probably been maybe probably before that. But they had a relationship. So people share music, you know, like you know, like, like Napster music sharing was nothing. Stuff it's nothing new. Uh, so um, it was cool that they had a, established a good foundation. And those guys were they played well. They played well. And Tommy Carbill was one of my heroes. Um, he was, he has started the whole Muscle Shows thing down there, coming from Memphis to play with them. Um, but he probably played his butt off. I mean, this cat thats all those Wilson Pickett records, engine, engine, engine number nine, um, a man and a half. No, I did man and a half. Um, <laughs> he did a lot of stuff. All the Aretha stuff before that baby, baby, sweet baby. Since you've been gone, the spec, all the Reaper stuff. I mean, Tommy was just all over the place. I mean, he was one of my favorite bass players. Um, So he was down there. So he got them trained out, you know, trained also. Um, So we had a good time playing. I had a good time. Both Dwayne and I had a good time playing with Roger and um, Barry Beckett and um, Spooner. He'd be down there. And um, Jimmy Johnson. That was the group.
0: Wow. Yeah. That yeah. that's really really cool. You got to really experience like music not only in in your uh, your hometown in New York, but you got to move around to Muscle Shoals and play with I guess some of your heroes who you would uh, future or uh, I guess you you played with. Uh, yeah. 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 I played.
1: Cricket play, was something.
0: Wow. <laughs> you
1: know, yeah. Spending a week with him, it was that was something.
0: Playing with your musical heroes. That that sounds yeah. like such mm-hmm. a dream. Yeah. yeah, but
1: they been blessed.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I know you, you've you played on so many, like, legendary songs and recordings from Mr. Bojangles to, like, Say a Little Prayer. Do you have a favorite song or, or something like that that you've played on?
1: Hmm, that Say a Little Prayer was probably one of my, you know, one of my favorites. Um, that was uh, history-making because it's still, it's, of all our Reba's songs, that one is still played. Um, you hear it, and I get a small check for it. <laughs> still. <laughs> So I was like... Hey, you can't uh, complain about that. The experience was great. Just that experience of playing um, with her on that song, which I detail in my book, basically. I don't want to, you know, just tell you the whole thing. Take your time of going through the whole laborious thing of the whole session. That that happened at 3 o'clock, and the session started at 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, But that's all in my book that you can, um, when it comes out, you can hear the story of, of that song. But that's one of my favorites. Um, I say a little prayer for you. Um, why I sing the blues with BB King. Those are the things that I really look back on in signs of the peace of my heart with Irma Franklin was actually the first one that I felt I um made my mark with. So that might I would consider that. Then there was of course with the live stuff with Memphis Soul Stuart, King Curtis, you know, hit it down live after in this whole story, how that occurred. That's also in my book. <laughs> So you can get all of those nitty gritty details there. And it's, it's user friendly. Um, I'm not telling on anybody, but yeah. it's, um, I like to see what, look what you're doing. And I like to see the fact that I'm reaching an audience that you have that's being promoted. And um, I should say delivered by a bunch of high school students. Yeah. So can, you know, can, it makes me think of my high school days. Um, <laughs> Oh, really? I was working three or four nights a week. Um, I started in junior high school playing um, with Smile and Henry. I was twelve. Wow! I heard me playing when I was outside with some kids, and they, um, they asked you to join their band. And I said, "Well, you have to ask my mother," and uh, <laughs> the rest is history.
0: You know? Yeah. So, so you started you started doing music from like the very beginning, then.
1: Oh, from I was twelve. Wow! I, had to wait till, I was wait till I was eleven to learn how to play the bass, and then I had to um, get well get strong enough to be heard above the other instruments and i was tapped to play join this professional band of musicians and wow. i was 12 years old
0: only 12 that's that's crazy that that you were 12 years old and that was like your first musical gig that's yeah. that's amazing I've
1: been about a year about about i started in september of um 57 and um 58 came along i turned 12 um and th- that fall of 58 in november i got the gig wow so that's like about 12 13 months september next november yeah fall things usually happen for me in the fall huh
0: yeah yeah (laughs) was it always the bass that like you knew that was going to be your instrument or did you like play around with some stuff beforehand
1: no that was it was only the bass i was i had a long history of traumatic brain injuries as a child coming up from the age of three and I had no um idea of you know usually people want to do something with their life you know you want to be a fireman you know doctor Indian chief whatever I had none of that going on um I was very um accident prone and I had a lot of head injuries and uh about Number eight, I got hit by a car and I uh, woke up, they tell me, (laughs) two weeks later, you know, everything, you know, I I was out for two weeks and I came back and all of a sudden the music I was familiar with, I've been hearing the Odetta and the Kingston Trio and the uh, Mary, um, what was that? my my sister played brought home folk music and jazz records and um, one was Miles Davis around midnight and all of a sudden everything sounded different. And I said, for the first time in my life, I want to do that, referring to the bass. And I just saw myself playing the bass, and that was I was 10 then. Wow. I, know, I was I was going on 10, and I had to wait till my 10th birthday. I was 9, because I got hit when I was 9. And my 10th birthday, I got, instead of getting a bass, <laughs> I got a tape recorder, <laughs> so I could record music. Well, that... I had to wait until I got to junior high school so I could get a bass and a teacher. So that's when I started. I started playing when I was 11. Oh, I actually man. had a bass in my hands. But I would listen to music from that time on, you know, focus, just listen to the, you know, and try to hear the bass. But I really couldn't hear it. I didn't realize after all the head injuries, I really couldn't hear well. Whoa. And that's why I chose the bass, because you really couldn't hear it. So I felt out of a self-conscious about, you know, standing out. So I I want to do that. I can listen so hard just to hear it.
0: Oh man! Yeah, I
1: realized because that was because I couldn't hear. <laughs>
0: that's
1: so that's what I tricked myself into playing the bass. I guess uh, you know what? that's what happens when you have something. You have a disability. When you're missing something, you make up for it some kind of way. You know so. Yeah mine was the passion mine was like the desperation basically but sometimes it's what we need you know to make a change in our life yeah as opposed to being just a vegetable
0: i mean yeah so would you like say that getting hit by that car is probably like what made you go into music or
1: no doubt i mean there was nothing before that i mean that there's nothing before that
0: oh that (laughs) that's such a story
1: yes that's karma wow you know you know it could have been it could have been worse I mean, my neighbor, I thought when I got hit, the year before, my neighbor had gotten hit, and they dragged him up the street, and he had a year of surgery, and he came back, and he, but he was still the fastest kid on the block. No way. That's <laughs> right. Walter was still the fastest kid on the block, but I always wondered, would I be next? And sure enough, I was next.
0: <laughs> well, hey, it turned out all right for you, right? Like, that probably sucked at the time,
1: it's early, but... <laughs> it's Happened. Good things have happened as a result of that. Music has, you know, given me a, a platform and um, a reason to live. And uh, I've gone beyond that, and it's really wonderful. And I'm glad to see that you're keeping, you know, the tradition alive of playing good music.
0: Yeah, of course. You know, I, I feel like there there aren't too many high schoolers nowadays that that really appreciate the music from the 60s and 70s and I, I try my best to uh to get to know that pretty well so i don't know
1: <laughs> well from my end it sounds like you're doing great sam yeah always, um, receptive and can um just enjoy what you're doing
0: oh i love it this is it's a lot of fun you know i i, I love what i do
1: wonderful yeah.
0: Well, all right, Jerry, thank you so much for talking to me. This has just been fascinating getting to hear your your musical stories, your your car story, all that that really cool stuff. That's that's really really neat and gosh yeah that's so cool yeah thank you so much for talking to me
1: and i'll make sure i stay in touch and let you know what's happening on my end when things move along with this this finally this book gets um gets out to the world
0: yeah 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 when that gets out send send uh send me an email and i'll, I'll pick it up peace i'm sam and i hope you enjoyed that interview with jerry Jamott, a bassist from new york who played on countless records by aretha franklin king curtis Dwayne allman and so many more If you enjoyed that interview, make sure to check out my back pages to listen to many other great interviews just like this one.